singing about and thinking about who God really is. He's a promise-giving and a promise-keeping God. And this is a decade of breakthrough, and we will break through. We are breaking through, and God is doing miraculous things in this church. And I'm just real privileged to be a part of your lives, a part of your family, VFAM. We're beginning a new series today, and I want you to uh, cinch your belt up if you wear a belt. If not, just squeeze your waist. And just know that we are going to really experience something very special. <clears throat> I'm going to touch on it again today, but I, I just want you to know we're going to conclude with this series, Jesus, There is Power in That Name, with the understanding in the book of Revelation, I don't know if you knew that there's an angel assigned to take your prayers and to dip it in the, in the fire and the power of God and to throw it down to earth. You know what that represents? What is in heaven is on this earth. And it comes because you are a person of prayer. That God will take these golden bowls that are filled with your prayers. Think about it. We're going to dive into this in about five or six weeks from now. But think about it. A bowl that is full of your prayers being brought up before God in the throne room of God every single day. And then God takes that because he's faithful with his promises as you pray to fire up, give power to your prayers and send it to earth where you will receive the answers. So a lot of us today, when we talk about prayer, really struggle with that because all of us have struggled with prayer. But we need to understand truly what prayer is, and that's part of what this series will be. And so today, I want to talk to you about making a decision to pray, of really just coming to the fact that prayer, when we find out in this series, is the key of bringing heaven in this earth or your world. Prayer is. And a lot of times we, we dive in, as I touched last series, how we struggle in the time frame and when and how, and there's no more to say, all these different things. I want you to recognize when you know prayer and you know the power of the name of Jesus, you will run to the places of prayer in your life. So turn your Bibles to John 14. And in this message, I want to talk about, in Jesus' name, why we pray and why we don't pray. So let me give you now um, a little bit of theological background of John chapter 14, 15, and 16. We'll touch 13 and 17. But <clears throat> this is a conversation in John's 14, 15, and 16. Most theologians believe Jesus had with his disciples at the Last Supper. You know, it's where they all sat around looking the same way, and da Vinci was in the corner painting it. Now, the, this is the conversation in chapters 14 through 16. John 13, 
Jesus washes their feet in the upper room. In John 17, Jesus prays the prayer most believe while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. So John 14 through 16 is what he tells the disciples right before he goes to the cross, right before he gives his life to us. And he he says things or phrases in the book of John that you don't hear in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John 14, 13, and 14, these things are completely new to the guys. Now, they've been with Jesus. They know Jesus. They know of Jesus. They know who he is. They've confessed that. But now he begins to tell them things that they never knew. It, is, it almost is like the opposite of the law or the Old Testament teaching. It's not the, it is the fulfilling of the law and, and the teaching in the Old Testament. So let's read verse 13. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, verse 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. In John 16, verse 23, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, thanking you for the ability to go into the throne room of God and to pour out out of our spirit the very essence of who you are that the power and the fire of God may fall on this earth and we would see not only our promises answered, the promises of God answered, but we will see the answers to lives around us because we have become people of prayer. And I thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, we have this reality in our Bible. It's the same Bible. So why wouldn't we ask in Jesus' name? Keep that question in your mind in the next six to eight weeks. So I want to give you two reasons why we pray. I'll conclude with those. But I want to give you now three reasons why we don't pray. Now, I don't think consciously that you and I choose not to pray. But subconsciously, we make that decision many times a day. Paul said that he, he, he prays continuously. Well, you can't do that. You're busy. You're working. He prayed continuously. He had a heart of the ability of understanding that he needed to continuously pray and have that heart casting things before the Lord, filling up the golden bowl. But it's a decision we make a lot every single day not to pray. Now, here are three of the subpoints why <laughs> we struggle in our prayer time. First is complacency. 
Sometimes we just get complacent. Sometimes we don't think it relates to us. You know, I believe we have, you know, today, we could change people we have voted for and lost. We could change laws in our nation because we prayed. But because complacency has come in the church, and I'm not talking valley community, I'm talking the whole church, we don't pray. We choose not to. Some think, what does it matter if they don't put the Ten Commandments on the walls? It doesn't matter. I live my life for the Lord. It's amazing how concerned we get when things begin to impact us. And I just, I just want to say this in, in all loving care. As a pastor, I want you to recognize is that there needs to be a transformation and a breakthrough in the body of Christ after COVID. That we begin to have that same passion and desire to be in church. That we have that same passion and desire to witness the gospel of Jesus Christ. That with all the stuff that's going on in our world, all the, the deception that's going on in our world, that we need to stand for the, the, the belief that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> in our world, we have natural disasters. When it's negative, the world blames God. God didn't do it, but it happens naturally. If you want to understand biblically, this world is dying and one day it will, but that day that it will is when God chooses. The oceans won't cover our lands because the Bible tells us that he stays with his hand the water, and he calls it seashore. So I believe through prayer we can turn it around, but we've just gotten complacent in our prayer time. The second reason why we don't pray is unbelief. Unbelief, where at times uh, my peers are not teaching the Word of God because they want to uh, keep everybody happy and they want great events, but the Word has become second place. This is difficult to swallow, but if you really believe spending time in prayer, and I'm going to show you this in Scripture, prayer would change things, you would spend more time in prayer. Again, we're going to come in this series and we're going to read scripture in the book of Revelation where that angel will take your prayers, dip it in the fire of God and cast it back to earth. If you study that, you're going to see that it's a purity of God's promises. What God said will come to pass. And that's the literal thing, action that takes place in heaven when you pray. If you really believe spending time in prayer for your marriage would change things, I wonder if you would pray more. If you really believe prayer would change the child that is devastating us or you, I wonder if you would pray more. Sometimes we think 10 minutes of prayer won't accomplish as much as 10 minutes on the internet. Of listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit 
instead of what I've told you many times, Googling it. And sit quiet before the Lord in your prayer time and listen to what God has to say to you. Praise the Lord. I, I don't mean to embarrass anybody, you know, today, but, but there are a few people that God gave me your names and breakthrough happened today. And I'll just say one, and I'll talk to some of you personally later on. But Abigail, I want you to understand, there was a breakthrough today in your life. Something happened in your life today that you've been praying, believing God for, and it is manifested And I want to tell you, the angel of the Lord has hurled the fire, the power of God on your prayer, and it has landed on earth, and you had breakthrough today. Amen. The third reason why we don't pray is discouragement. Discouragement. And here's where a lot of believers who are not in unbelief are. We prayed for something, and it didn't happen. We say, Pastor, I'm disappointed with God and I'm disappointed with the church. Why should I go to church when it doesn't happen? They tell me it will and it doesn't happen. So we allow the enemy then to twist our thinking regarding prayer and we become convoluted in our Christian walk. So the two reasons why we pray are actually attributes of God. They're characteristics of God, of who he is, not just what he does. And I loved it today of the breakthrough that I'm experiencing with other people and all that, is that every song we sang today talked about who God is and his character. Amen. I love all our songs, but I tell you what, God was pointing to us and saying, see, this is what it takes. We see in the Bible these two characteristics of God. Satan pollutes to cause us not to pray. But these are characteristics of God that should cause you to pray the most. That when you recognize this, so So I'm asking that you would, and I prayed all last night. I actually texted uh, about 85 people this morning and uh, got in at 6 o'clock and I began texting. I waited a little bit so I didn't wake anybody up. But I was texting people and saying, pray for me because this this message is an introduction of this whole series but it it is an introduction that is going to slap the face of the enemy. And it's going to open up deception in the body of Christ, all those watching on the internet. I want you to understand that the enemy is being slapped and kicked out right now because of the breakthrough that is happening not only here at Valley Community, but it's happening in your home. So here are the two reasons why we pray. First, everyone's heard this, but I'm going to explain what it is and even more in the following weeks. The sovereignty of God. Why we pray is because the sovereignty of God. Church family, most people confuse what sovereignty means. So let me tell you, 
and we will just tear this apart all through the series. Sovereignty means supremacy, supreme. When we say God is supreme, it means he is the supreme ruler of the universe. I'm not trying to become Hollywood, but I'm just telling you, he is the supreme ruler of the universe. Many think this way, and it's a wrong thinking. What the sovereignty of God means is that God will do what he wants to do no matter what. So why pray? Why pray? He's sovereign. He's going to do it anyways, whatever he wants to do. He knows better, and we know that. I mean, for us to get to so wise that we think we know better than God, we're cruising for a bruising. So in prayer, people apply prayer to this way of thinking. What most people think of sovereignty is an incomplete thought of the application of him being sovereign. When you think that he just does what he feels, does what he wants, then you are not seeing the true application of the ruler of the universe who is sovereign. We say, well, God's going to do what he's going to do. The enemy comes in and says, then why even pray? Matthew 6, 8 says this, Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask. Amen. He does. We think of the Scripture, the Father knows what you need, so don't ask. He already knows. He knows everything. Why ask? Why get into this prayer thing? Why not just get on the internet and find out who won yesterday? Jesus says, the Father knows what you need before you ask. So let me just tell you in your prayer, God already knows what you're going to ask because he already knows. But Jesus taught us how to pray. Jesus said, they asked us, teach us to pray. And he said, well, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right? Bottom line, he was saying, you do all these things. This is how you do it. And the, the ultimate goal is the angel's going to dip fire on your prayers and you will see the answers of your prayers. But you need to pray. Wow. So if it's God's will, we think, will happen. So there's no reason to pray. You know, God's will will happen. Church, that's not true. What? That's not true. Because we misinterpret the will of God. We misinterpret what it means, the will of God. So the meaning of the word will is desire. All right? So God's desire will manifest. Now, watch this. Your will and testament says, this is my desire. So you write your will and testament and say, this is my desire that my children get the $85 I have left. All right? 
So what's God's desire? Well, 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but it is long-suffering toward us, not willing. Listen to that, not willing. So it's God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All right? Everyone understands that God's, that's God's will. All right? Not willing, it's not God's desire that anyone should perish, but all would come to repentance. So here's a question I want to ask you. Are all going to come to repentance? No. But that's God's will. And doesn't God's will happen? Why isn't God sovereign? Why isn't he sovereign? He's a supreme ruler. Then everybody should be saved. There's actually religions that will teach that that means that God chooses who he wants to get saved. And so all that he chooses gets saved, so his will manifested. I want to tell you, stick your finger down your throat and choke. That's a bunch of garbage. Once saved, always saved. A bunch of garbage. And it is taught. It's taught in our colleges, and it's taught in our prisons. And our prisoners need breakthrough because they're people created in the image of God. And they're taught an understanding that maybe it's not God's will for you to be born again, that he chooses. See, God has a will, and we are created in God's image, so we have a will also. We have a desire also. So the reason people perish is not God's will, but their wills, the people. They will, or they desire to choose not the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why when they die, they will go to hell. They exercise their will not to accept Christ, so that's why they perish. But God's will is for good because he is good. And his will is none should perish. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. His thoughts are good for everyone. I don't care how evil they were. God's will. I don't care how evil Pastor Dan was. I'm just going by what he's told me. He created us in his image, and so we have a will. But the good things that happen in your life are because your will moves God's will from heaven to earth. Let me say it again. The good things that happen to you and me is your will, desire, through prayer, moves God's will, desire, from heaven to earth. Spending time with God. Spending time with God. Notice, and you will notice in this series, I will not give you a time frame, a time, or how. But I'm going to give you why we pray. And we'll continue to pray 
to see God's power move in our earth. Scripture says, again, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus answered in that scripture in Matthew 6.10. So let me shock you now. Let me just, in, in the beginning stage of this series, I want to have a shock factor on some statements that I make. Because I want you to desire to come back and to hear the end result of that fire coming to heaven, or from heaven to earth. <clears throat> Nothing good is going to happen if you don't pray. Nothing good is going to happen if you don't pray. If God's desire for you to have breakthrough, but breakthrough comes because you pray. Are you going to exercise your will to move God's will to earth? We say, well, if it be thy will or if God's willing. That is, you know what? I love the South. We have a home in the South. All right? I love the South. And a lot of times, hey, well, we'll see you tomorrow, God willing. All right, they're 30 years old. God said, I'll give you a long life. I get where they're coming from. But if we really understand the power of our words and the power of the word of God that we pray and that we say, then we will see the breakthrough like we've never experienced before in our lives. See, there are a lot of God wills in the Scripture, too. So if you read Scripture, there's a lot of God will. God said this. This is what His desire is. So I've been given a will. I need to match up my desire with His. So we know God says that none should perish. And we say, if it be thy will, save my neighbor. We know God's will. He said none should perish. It is God's will. God's will is that your neighbors would get saved. Matter of fact, God's will is that I would get off my little recliner. You thought I was going to say something else. And walk across the street and talk to my neighbor. That's God's will. God's will, because none should perish, is you to show the love of God to your coworker. We don't recognize our abilities to pray, and we don't utilize it because we don't understand it. God is sovereign. There is a scripture God is writing to Jeremiah, and when I read it, you think, well, what does the scripture have to do with pastor's message? Now, I taught on this about three and a half years ago uh, on a Sunday night and, uh, or Wednesday night, whichever day it was. He tells Jeremiah something to do, but it's an example of something we need to understand, how the kingdom of God works in prayer. And so take your belt, tighten it up one more button or hole or whatever it is, in Jeremiah 32, 8 through 11, Jeremiah writes this. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, 
Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance, the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption yours, speaking to Jeremiah. But it for buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, Jeremiah talking. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth. So in other words, his uncle was his dad's brother. And weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed, notice deed, and sealed it, notice a sealed deed took witnesses and weighed the money on the scale. So I took the purchase deed, notice that, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open. So one was sealed, one was open. So very important, you notice in this passage, there are two rights, the right of inheritance and the right of redemption. There are two deeds in this passage. The two deeds are the sealed deed and the open deed. Probably, let me explain now the background of it. What happened is that Jeremiah's father had passed away. So Jeremiah's father's brother, Jeremiah's uncle, probably bought Jeremiah's family's property to help Jeremiah's mother financially. Then Jeremiah's cousin comes to Jeremiah, or Jeremiah's father's brother's son, who's his uncle, comes to Jeremiah and said, buy this field. By the way, God told Jeremiah before the cousin came that I want you to buy that property. So in prayer, God is going to bring other people to you and things you will see, uh, just like what Pastor Dan was talking about, that God won't leave you alone. He'll continue to show you. We're going to see this in the series. He's going to show you how he will he'll remind you, I'm doing this thing. Even though you don't see the answer, full answer yet, I'm doing this thing. All right? Now, the reason for the right of inheritance and the right of redemption, here's the explanation. If the uncle bought the field, which he did, when the uncle died, which he did, his son wouldn't get it. And, and the land would go back to Jeremiah. That is called the right of inheritance. All right? So the right of inheritance, you're going to find in a moment where that is written, all right? And we're going to be excited today of how Jesus Christ has opened everything for you to receive God's promises. But Jeremiah also had the right of redemption if he wanted to purchase the property back before the uncle passed away. So bottom line, I misspoke. Um, I knew I did when I first said it, but I wasn't going to mess up what I was going to say that the uncle didn't pass away yet, but the cousin said, come and buy back your property from my dad. So that's two rights, all right? Now, keep with me. Now, there are two deeds. 
an open deed and a sealed deed. All right? So the explanation is here is what happened back then. If a family owned land, there was a sealed deed with the family's name on it. So on the sealed deed is the family's name that owns the property. All right? And it stays sealed. Very important. No matter what, they always hold that deed. That means you have the right of redemption or the owners of the land. The open deed was open so you could write on it. And what you wrote on it was the uncle bought the field and on the open deed, he wrote his name that he purchased the property. All right? So pause here a second. Here is the reason why I explained all this the way I did. The sealed deed and the open deed is God's way, and he developed the system. This is kingdom life, kingdom thinking. Why? When he developed and gave this system, he was talking about the earth. This whole earth, universe. This is the foundation of why you pray. God owns this earth. God gave Adam dominion over the land, earth, but Adam lost it to Satan. When Satan tempted Jesus, he said to Jesus, all of this is mine and I can give it to whom I want. Did you know Jesus didn't argue it? Jesus didn't say, no, you're wrong. Jesus knew Satan was right. Satan had stewardship and or dominion over the earth because he usurped the land from Adam that God gave Adam. Now here's the truth. Still with me? Okay, all right, stay with me. God gave Adam the open deed, wrote his name on it. But God kept the sealed deed, and the sealed deed means ownership. Revelation, verse 5, 1 through 5, watch what this says. How many of you love Revelation chapter 5? And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to lose, loose its seals. What he said, who's worthy? Jesus. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the, read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, <laughs> Church, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Jesus, has prevailed to open the scroll, and to loose its seven seals. 
An angel touched John who wrote this and said, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed and can open the sealed scroll. The sealed scroll is the sealed deed or the ownership. Jesus had the authority to the sealed deed. Jesus had the right of inheritance because he is the son and the right of redemption. So at the end, all the earth would come back to Jesus. But why did he do that? Why did Jesus come then? If at the end, it's going to come back to him. Well, but he just didn't want the land. Jesus wanted you. I need to say that again. He didn't just want the land. He wanted you. Amen. So he exercised his right of redemption and purchased you back on the cross. So the question, so what did Jesus get back? He got back dominion. God gave Adam dominion. Adam lost it to Satan. And Jesus got it back to us and gave us the open deed. And we have the right because we have the open deed to proclaim the blessing and the promises of God through prayer. Now, listen very closely here. God has given you the open deed of your life and your destiny. Whether it comes to pass or not, God's will or desire for your life coming to pass is whether if you partner with him or not. Whether you partner with God or not. How do you partner with God? Through prayer. So the reason we don't pray is we believe God will do what he wants. The reason to pray is regarding God's sovereignty. We are praying to the supreme ruler of the universe who will move heaven and earth for you because he is sovereign. That's his heart. That's what salvation is about. And when we understand that he is sovereign and his desire, his will, is that all of heaven will be poured on earth And it comes because you have been given the authority to proclaim it over this earth and your life. That's prayer. That's prayer, church. So the second reason why we pray is because of the immutability of God. Hard word. Immutability of God is the unchangeable of God or God cannot change. Now, I just, I, I just heard you, pastor, say, but, but you said that you could change God. You said that you have a will and you pray and, and you can work with that because you have a will and, and, you know, just pray and change God. Well, let me tell you, you're right. But we need to understand that God doesn't change. And what is the Bible talking about? Because this will answer 
all the stuff that the enemy uses to deceive you not to pray. Malachi 3.6 says this. No, we're not reading about the tithe, but that doesn't change either. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. The reason God cannot change, because if he could change, then he could be better. I'll say it again. The reason God cannot change, because if he could change, then he could be better. He can't change because he's perfect. Everyone agree with that? All right, let's, let's follow suit here. So Satan says, there's no reason to pray because God can't change. Whatever God's will, God's willing, if God's willing, we'll get in the Word of God and find God's willing stuff. What is his will? What is his desire? In other words, Satan says, prayer doesn't change anything because you can't change God. See, the immutability of God in theology doesn't mean God can't change his mind. Immutability of God is saying that God can't change his character. You've got to really hear that. He can change his mind, but he won't change his character. But according to Scripture, he will change his mind. How many of you remember the story of Abraham? Because of time, we won't go into it. But I would pray that you would listen to this again. You would watch it again online. And you would write everything down because you know me. I got a lot to say. I bring a lot of scriptures. And I want you to know that what I'm teaching you is scripture and not my own opinion. But my opinion, according to the word of God, God is sovereign, and God will not change his character. All right, so Abraham knew this, and God changed his mind. Remember Lot? Moses knew this. He prayed, and God changed his mind. Remember, God said, I'm going to wipe them out. I'm tired of them. What did Moses do? He prayed. Exodus 32, 14 says, So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now here's another shock I'm going to show you. God said he was going to do something, and Moses prayed, and God changed his mind. So did God lie? The word relented is in the Old Testament 108 times and 41 times It's translated repented. It actually means to repent, to change your mind. So to say it, that God repented, is right. All right, so let's go on. I know right now some of you, pastor's getting weird on us. See, The word repentance, people say it means to turn from sin. It's not what it means. It is an action of repentance, but God has no sin. 
Repentance is better explained in the Greek. It is a Greek word, metanoia. Metanoia. Meta means change. Noia means mind, or to change your mind. So literally translated to change your mind. So when it says, repent and believe in Jesus, it is saying to change your mind of who Jesus is. When you are leading people to the Lord, hey, we all have been born in sin and come short of the glory of God. But here's the reality. You know how to get people born again? You change their mind. By giving them scripture, by showing them love, by being there when they need someone to hold their hand. You can say to them, you need to change your mind about sin. You can say to them, you can change your mind of the way you're living. That's how it is, folks. Because once we're born again, our spirit is brand new. But we still have this stuff in us that we need to change our mind about the stuff. That's called discipleship. Now, you all remember what I say a lot. If you were a nerd before you, everyone sees that. If you were a nerd before you were born again, right after you're born again, you're a born-again nerd. Okay? So we have to recognize this reality of the word and how the enemy has brought these words, sovereignty and sin and all these different things, and has created such a, a devastation. That's why the church is not seeing people born again. It's because we don't understand really even what it means to repent. So in prayer, God can change his mind. God changed his mind of the harm he said he would do to his people. Moses prayed on that. Now, remember the story of Jonah. Let's quickly go over that. Let's just find out what we're talking about is this changing of the mind and all the above and see how religion or people that are so deceived in religion don't really recognize this, and they will stop doing the will of God and don't want to pray because they know God's heart. In Jonah chapters 1 and 2, Jonah rebels of what God asked him to do. You know the story. He's supposed to go and travel over to a city called Nineveh, and, uh, and he's going to uh, prophesy and preach to Nineveh. So Jonah goes the other way because he didn't want to go because he knew what was going to happen. And I'm going to explain to you what he knew was going to happen, how the enemy deceived him. He goes the other way. God sends a big fish. People say whale. It was a big fish to swallow him. Brings him back. The big fish spews him on the place God wanted him to be. How many of you been there? You rebelled against God and rebelled against God, then all of a sudden you're doing the thing that you said for years you weren't going to do. So chapter 3, he then preaches in uh, 40 days, God will destroy you and this land called Nineveh. But what happens through the preaching? They repent. 
They change their mind about God and their sin. So God repents. You, they use the word relent. He repents. He changes his mind about Nineveh and doesn't destroy them. God didn't lie. So chapter 4 tells us why Jonah went the other way. Jonah said, did I not tell you that you would change your mind? Because Jonah hated the sinner, and he wanted, he wanted God to wipe him out. But he said, because you are a compassionate God, the scripture we read at the beginning, he does not want anybody to perish, no matter how evil they are. He said, I knew if I went and preached the message of judgment, I knew they would repent, change their mind, and that you would change your mind, and they would get saved. See, if I gave this, here it is, this is what happens. If I gave this prophecy, and it didn't come to pass, my ministry life is over, because now I'm a false prophet. I want to tell you, that's what, that's what the enemy does. He will come to you and give you the most simple lie that you will believe. He was more concerned. The Bible says that he pouted after that took place. And you can read that again. I'm not going to go over it. But he pouted because they got saved. Because he thought, now I'm a false prophet. And I don't know, maybe he's going to lose his salary. Maybe he's going to lose his offering. Maybe he's going to lose, you know, prestige or fame. He was a famous prophet, but he's going to lose his job, business, ministry, however people look at it. And that happens today. But God, character won't change. His desire is that all will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. His desire is that we all walk in forgiveness. His desire is that we all receive one another as brothers and sisters, and we walk as a family, the fam. But it takes people like you and me that become a people of prayer. That's why we should pray, because God will always be merciful. He doesn't change. He'll always be compassionate. He doesn't change. He'll always be powerful. He doesn't change. So many attributes of God that he has should cause us to pray. Because a sealed deed, we read in Revelation, will be open, but the sealed deed is God's ownership of this earth. God owns this land. Politics don't own this land. I want to hear you, right? I want, I want you to hear me. And I, I, want, I want to hear you really begin to move with your voices and your actions of being people of prayer. Because what I want to see is I want to see God's will, uh, his power, fire, power, manifest in every area we touch. And that every family here, you have children that are prodigal, they will come running. Why? Because you filled your golden bowl with prayers, knowing who God is, 
knowing that he's sovereign and knowing that he will not change his character and you fill those bowls and the angel will take that fire, that power of God and he'll cast it to earth. And you will see your prayers answered because you pray. He can't change. Ezekiel 32, verse 30 and 31. Crazy scripture, but I'll explain it. There are the princes of the north, all of them and all the Sidonians, who have gone down with the slain and shame at, and at the terror which they caused by their might. They lie un, uncircumcised with those slain by the sword and bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. Pharaoh will see them and be comforted over all the multitude. Pharaoh and all the armies slain by the sword, says the Lord God. So God just needed one person to join hands and to partner with him to bring the answer. And the next chapter, chapter 33, discusses that. It is just saying all chaos is happening in this world. And Pharaoh, who is the, the uh, symbol of the enemy, is satisfied. But in chapter 33, he prophesies and says, but if you become one person, we'll begin to pray. He will absolutely destroy the works of the enemy in every situation of your life because God is a promise-giving and a promise-keeping God. So here's the question. What areas of our lives does God want us to join hands with, with him? Your job, your health, your family, your marriage. By the way, in the middle of this series, I'll be in a, doing a two-week uh, mini-series on marriage, being around Valentine's Day. But we're going to see the transform, transformative work of God, transformation happen not only in our lives, in a greater way called breakthrough, but we're going to see it in everything we put our hands to because you and I have become people of prayer. We must pray God's will from heaven to manifest on the earth. So let me tell you a story in conclusion. There's a gentleman from Germany. His name is George Mueller. George Mueller is one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived uh, from Germany. And there were many, but he's one of the greatest. Many don't know for 30 years, George Mueller lived a very sinful life. When he was 30 years old, he went to a small meeting like a home group, and he gave his life to the Lord. Actually, what happened, he decided right away to go to Bible college, study for ministry, felt called, <laughs> and, and uh, then he also was going to do it because it was a good job back then, because all the ministers were paid by the government. So a lot of people farming whatever they were doing. Uh, my family's from Germany, and they were farmers. And uh, I'm not from Germany. I'm from the United States of America, 
of German descent. I'm a farmer too. I farm for souls. Amen. But even though in sin, <laughs> the ministers of that, doy, uh, that day employed people, and so he prays and asks God, what do you want me to do? Okay, he's, he's vacillating back and forth because he's growing, all right? He gets saved, so he went to his father, and, and he asked his father if his father would, you know, pay for the school. And his father said, absolutely not. So he prayed, and he prayed for two months. And God says, now go to the missionary school, and I will provide. And so what he does is he goes to register. He's standing in line to register, knowing that he doesn't have the money to pay. And someone walked up to him just before he got to the registrar, and put their hand in his, coat pocket, in his coat pocket with money. And when he went and, and registered, they said it would be this amount of money, and the exact amount of money they asked for was in his pocket. God provides. He prayed for two, two months. So he completes school, but they declined him to license him because of his past church has done that today. You know, uh, with the testimonies, great testimony Pastor Dan's given us before, uh, they wouldn't have licensed him because of his past. Paul the Apostle probably would have been declined too. All right? So he prayed for one year. After that year, doing side jobs, he prayed one year God tells him, I want you to go now. So he went to the country, to the city God put on his heart. Why I'm not saying the city is because then it became many, many cities and many countries that he worked in. But he went to the country and the city God put on his heart, and he went to a church, small church that was there, and went to the service, and he said, is there a chance I could talk to the pastor? And, the, and one of the elders said, I'm sorry, our pastor resigned last week. And he said, oh, well, I just graduated from school. I don't have a license. He says, you're in. And they hired him on the spot. And while he began to preach to the church, the church was struggling, and he found out that how they supported the church was in those days you had the rich and the poor and, you know, all the in-between like we do today. And all the rich people would buy the best seats in the church. They would not buy, they would rent on a monthly basis. And so that's how they supplied for the church. But they didn't have much money because that's not God's way. So he got up and preached on tithing and said, we're not going to show any more partiality here and now we're just going to tithe and you sit where you would like to sit. Well, their offerings went up. And God said, open up an orphanage. You know me, I love orphanages. So he prayed. For about a week he prayed and then uh, he was walking down the street and the guy walked up to him and said, Hey, pastor, I know you're beginning to do an orphanage. I would like to pay for that orphanage. 
that one orphanage started over probably about what they say is about 8,000 orphanages were opened by his ministry. Umpteen thousands of children heard the gospel of Jesus. And out of his ministry, many people became missionaries and began to preach the word of God throughout the world. So over a course of 60 years being a missionary, he started thousands of orphanages. When he was 93 years old and eight months, he was about to pass away. The person who was taking care of him was sitting close by and could hear him praying and understood who he was praying for. He was praying for a gentleman that he knew as a child that grew up and messed around in this world with this person. But he became born again but his friend rejected God. He had turned his back on God, and missionary Mueller was praying for him on his deathbed. Missionary Mueller passed away. At his burial, his body was in the front, as they are. And at the end of the funeral, a man walked up to the front, and the person who took care of Mr. Mueller knew the man. He walked up to the front, patted him, stood there for a moment, and fell on his knees, put his hands up, and said, Jesus, I receive you now. He was 94 years old. Every day, missionary Mueller prayed for his friend. So while his casket was there, he was already gone to be with the Lord. The prayers of the righteous avail much. The one he prayed for was born again because God answers prayer. Let's all stand We need to come to a place in our life. Are we praying? Are we really? And I'll tell you why we don't. Because we don't get this. And I want to tell you how many years when I first became born again. And I prayed. And I was a, I was a youth pastor. I prayed for the meals. I prayed for the meetings to start. I prayed for this. I prayed at the end. I prayed here. I prayed there. I prayed there. I didn't pray. Me and God. And when I came to that place of recognizing what God was saying and learning all of this, what I'm going to teach you in this series, it just overwhelmed the ministry that I had. It made me see greater because I saw God. I saw who He was. It made me more joyous because 
I knew who he was, compassionate, loving, caring God. And from there, the ministry just began to explode as in people, miracles. But I learned not to seek miracles. I learned to seek the miracle-working God. And when I did that, when I was born again, I heard the call of a ministry, and I told you this story many years ago. I heard the call of going, (laughs) y'all would hate me, well, a great ministry, ministering in the Caribbean, going on the mission field. For many, 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 many years in prayer, God given me actually sermons and understanding of the people, just letting me know just through my prayer time. But I was serving another man's, man of God's vision. I was an associate ministry. Did that for 18 years. And it wasn't about my ministry. It was about his ministry, her ministry. Why? Because that's kingdom, honoring one another. But when God opened the door for me to go to the mission field, he not only opened the door to the mission field in the Caribbean, but we were able to be rescuers when the the storms came through and destroyed all the churches and all the city buildings. We built churches before the the country built their, their city buildings again. So they used our churches as offices and using our churches as offices, then they all got born again. And then all of a sudden, the countries began to get uh, a ministry where thousands of people were becoming born again. When I came out here, I gave that up. God opened the door to the Philippines, to Africa, opened the door uh, to Cambodia, opened the door and all that. But the main focus, I'm called to pastor the body of Christ. But he wanted me to go and do that, like Pastor Rufner and his wife. Pastor church many years. Now they're traveling all over, ministering life-changing events happening because they're obedient to the Lord and they're people of prayer. When we understand prayer, when we call for a, a night of prayer, which we're going to do that this year, when we call for a night of prayer, I'm expecting you and three of your buddies to come because you know, listen, I want to tell you, This is going to happen. Hey, we're going to have uh, breakthrough Sundays. We're going to see the power of prayer and the Word of God work because those golden bowls are being filled up with our prayers because we believe it. God is a sovereign God, and He is immutable. And when we pray with that, life-changing events. So let me just proclaim over you. Father, I thank you for the absolute blessing of the revelation 
of prayer. Life-changing events with continuum of the blessings of God after the fact because we are people of prayer. In Jesus' name, healing, restoration, relationships, marriages, every aspect of our lives will just be God's will from heaven because of our prayers. Father, as we've been saying today, I call for the fire of God to come and to consume the deception of the enemy and to bring the revelation of God's word and God's heart and who he is and prayer in our lives. And I thank you, Lord, for that. I, com- I command in Jesus' name, Satan, you take your filthy hands off the businesses we run, the businesses we own. I proclaim in Jesus' name that every one of us who are called of God, which every one of us are, our ministries will explode and many will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and healing will arise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Give the Lord an applause. If you are watching,